0: back to another episode of the Thrive Abetic Podcast. My name is Kate and I am your host and today I am talking with Matt. He runs FTF Warrior on Instagram and like I mentioned last week we talk about a similar topic that I did last week with Mark where we talk about wellness and type 1 diabetes. Um, with this episode we focus a bit more on blood sugar and different factors that affect blood sugar and how to have overall better control over your diabetes, your life, your health. So before we get into all that, I am just giving a little bit of an update on me because I don't really talk about myself too much in the intros or anything like that, but I will not have a new episode for next week. I'm taking a little bit of a break to find some great people to be guests on this podcast and figure out what people want to hear and what topics would be best. So I am going to take a little bit of a break. Um, I feel like I just need it physically and mentally. My blood sugar hasn't been amazing. It hasn't been like out of complete control, but it definitely is kind of wearing on me right now because I can't seem to have a full day of steady numbers in the last like two, three weeks. Um, but I'm trying to just give myself some grace over that because I know that it's summer and I've had a lot of things going on. I also had a an infection where I had to take antibiotics for a week and that of course messed up my blood sugars too. So I just want to relax a little bit, take a little bit more time for myself next week, maybe focus on my art and um i'll keep you guys updated and i'll probably still be posting next week with whatever art i come up with so just keep an eye out for that and then i will be back hopefully the following week so with all that being said let's get into it with our guests this week please welcome matt hi matt thank you so much for being here today
1: hey kate super stoked to be here with you
0: wow yeah, this is great so i am super excited to hear everything that you have to say about nutrition and blood sugar management and just all those things. But before that, I would love to hear your diagnosis story and just a little bit about yourself and your journey with diabetes.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So I was diagnosed, um, actually the, the day before Christmas Eve, (laughs) so it was a fantastic Christmas present, uh, 2009. So I was 19 at the time. And, uh, to be quite honest, I didn't know much about type one diabetes. And to further my story, I didn't know much about even after I left the hospital, they didn't tell me a whole lot about what to expect or what it was. Uh, They basically said, here's some insulin. Uh, You can't have carbs or sugar ever again. And good luck. Right.
0: Wow. And uh,
1: we found out about six hours later that they forgot to give me fast acting insulin. They just gave me the long acting. (laughs) And so they're like, And my parents, thankfully, were in the medical profession. They're like, why is your blood sugar still 400? This doesn't make sense. And uh, yeah, turns out they never gave me the fast acting. So I had to go back to the ER and uh, it was a fun night. But the experience overall, thankfully, like I said, my family is familiar with the medical world. So they were on board with learning about it and helping me to adjust. Uh, And they hooked me up with an endocrinologist that they knew and trusted. And so over time, I was able to find out more and learn more. But I think that so many of us, like myself, had to fall on experimental trial and error, you know, kind of Googling and see what you can learn online about your own disease, because uh, it just wasn't a whole lot of information out there.
0: Yeah, wow. And I mean, that's a little bit of a later diagnosis too, being 19. So what was that like for you? Were you like about to head to college? Were you already in college?
1: Yeah, I was in college. Uh, It was a rough couple of months. Um, So leading into that diagnosis, I, to my own fault, I didn't go to a class a whole lot because I found out classes were optional in college (laughs) and you only had to show up for the final. So I wasn't doing so hot in school, Um, ended up not passing most of my classes. Uh, A month before I was diagnosed, my dog died and that was really hard for me. Uh, That same month, I totaled my car uh, and I think there's a, a family member lost as well in that month. So for me, I believe that part of my diagnosis was just a series of stressful events that caused my body to kind of freak out, you know, overstress and, uh, let into the diagnosis before Christmas. And so, uh, getting diagnosed later in life for me, I look at it as a blessing because I had the childhood of no needles, no carb counts, just going crazy. Um, getting diagnosed in college was a bit different because I, I would not count myself as responsible at that point just yet. (laughs) And so I was still eating, you know, carne asada burritos at one o'clock in the morning uh, and just guessing how much insulin to give. And that's not a safe place to be. So um, certainly pros and cons. I've had that conversation with multiple people who are diagnosed as children. They think they had it better. I think I had it better. Good news is we all think that we had it the best. And so, uh, yeah, definitely interesting being diagnosed at 19.
0: Yeah, it's definitely two different perspectives on that. Because on one hand, either you grew up with it, and that's just like what you know, and you're used to it, or you have luxury of having a longer time without diabetes. So it's definitely pros and cons to both of those. But with all that, um, you said that you didn't have an endocrinologist right away, but your parents like found one for you. And then from there, you were able to like learn more about diabetes management or what was that like?
1: Yeah. So they set me up with kind of a consult with the endocrinologist friend that they had. Um, and so my parents worked at Kaiser and so they're familiar with other departments and uh, got that consult to give me kind of the uh, the quick version of diabetes education, you know, the quick start. And so they gave me the ideas of, you know, the at the time these exchange rates versus a sliding scale and, you know, how to give insulin for different amounts of food and um, really kind of give me that crash course. Right. But then they weren't my official endocrinologist. So I still had to wait to get uh, set up with one. And there was a series of different endos that I, until I found the one that I have now, which is fantastic endocrinologist. I love her and all the work she does, but uh, there was definitely a few of them that were not incredibly helpful, you know, having to fight for the medical technology that I want, like my CGM, over the years, but, um, I also didn't take responsibility over my diabetes for probably four or five years. So lots of guessing how much insulin I didn't test my blood sugar hardly ever. I mean, <laughs> like don't tell my mom, right. <laughs> but I mean, I, I moved across the country to New York when I was in college or, or just after college. And she would call me a couple of times a week, like, Hey, are you testing your blood sugars? Cause it was right after I was diagnosed. And I was like, um, I don't actually know where my glucometer is. So, no. <laughs> and she was obviously nervous hearing about that. Um, it took me a long time to really realize how serious diabetes is and that I needed to actually measure blood sugar and, and take the proper amount of insulin.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a journey. And what you were saying too about like finding the right endocrinologist is so important because. I didn't realize that either growing up, like I just had a really great endocrinologist um, right off the bat, which was amazing. And then I realized like in my adult, in my adult life, when I couldn't have um, a pediatric endocrinologist that like, there were a lot of different ones and some were better than others. So getting the right care is definitely important for that. But so then what led you to actually like wanting to learn more about diabetes and even like creating your Instagram account, FTF warrior and all that.
1: Great question. Um, I would say it came in stages. So initial stage four or five years in was like, okay, I should probably take care of this because I have, uh, it was a girlfriend at the time who was now my wife. And, uh, I was like, Hey, this turns out it's kind of serious. Uh, You can like lose your legs or your arms, like kidney failure and blindness. I don't want to do that. So can you like help me remember to test my blood sugars? And she was the sweetest thing. She was like, for sure. And she tried her best. She wasn't like super on top of it, but neither was I. So it was new to both of us. And so she encouraged me to start taking care of it. And, you know, just thinking longer term of like, what do I want out of life? I want a long, healthy life and I have to take care of my diabetes to get there. And then years later, after having what I would say is pretty good control, you know, it wasn't like tight control like it is now, but it was good enough, I would say. Um, There was a a certain incident (laughs) while we were traveling. Uh, We spent about six months on and off in Europe and had this unique work opportunity where um, I used to do some modeling and acting. And so we moved out to Europe for a while. And while we were out there, she got a call from her grad school that she wanted to apply to and said, hey, we love to interview you. So she flew back home. I stayed out there in Paris. And in that week, when she was gone, I almost died. And it was terrifying, <laughs> to say the least. I uh, had a severe low blood sugar. When I was staying in an Airbnb, our host didn't speak English very well. I spoke very minimal French. I knew enough to say like, I need sugar, I'm diabetic. And that's pretty much it. Um, he took me to the hospital where I was ignored for like 30 minutes. And I'm shaking, I can barely stand. They gave me a wheelchair because I thought that I was dizzy. And in the wheelchair, I'm like, I'm going to pass out and probably die here. And so um, long story short, I had enough sugar in my backpack, just stuffed it in my face. I think I ate like 100-something grams of pure sugar overall uh, and was never seen. Uh, I was in the back room and I ended up walking out of the hospital like three hours later. <laughs> and I was like, wow. wow, almost died in a foreign country by myself, uh, you know, that wrecked me. Honestly, it messed up my mental health where I was just like, I almost died. Life is fragile. What's going on? I <laughs> uh, came back and had this new uh, admittedly unhealthy obsession with blood sugars and was like, I need to make sure that never happens again. I cannot put myself in that situation. So uh, I made it my life's mission to identify blood sugar trends and figured out the meaning behind why blood sugars go up and down and what stabilizes them. And you know, how do I exercise again? How do I eat food again? Because there was a period of time where I was scared to take insulin. I was like, well, insulin almost killed me. So (laughs) I don't know if I trust it. And it was that moment that really shifted the way that I view diabetes. And over the course of the next two years, uh, running daily experiments, trial and errors, reading medical journals, uh, identifying what truly leads to more stable blood sugars. And, uh, just you know how to make that into a real life plan that doesn't revolve around diabetes but still gives you more control uh that's where the the a20 blood sugar comes into play blood sugar formula comes into play and it's really a formula driven approach because to me i needed this logical approach of blood sugars where i had certainty you know there was no more guessing i was like no i need to know for sure am i going to be okay and so uh, unfortunately it came from a rock bottom perspective and like a broken mental health kind of side but it led into this new perspective of diabetes and all of a sudden you can take care of it you can eat sugar you can go work out for 3 hours and it was like this whole new world of possibilities arose from this unfortunate experience.
0: Yeah, I think that happens a lot too. It's kind of unfortunate that it happens that way, but just having an experience that's really scary and I think that having diabetes can be scary in a lot of different ways even just like diagnosis in and of itself can be traumatic for people and then also dealing with like anxiety over going low like what happened to you and if you have a scary experience like that where you almost die then of course that's going to affect you but I'm so glad that you were able to like take that and turn it into something that empowered you more and can help other people too. But I would love to talk more about the 80-20 formula that you have. Can you go into that a little bit?
1: Yeah, certainly. So the idea behind it is that there are more. I mean, we've got a list that you probably all see on the internet of 42 confirmed variables, right? The blood sugar variables that can impact. And it's like environmental, it's the temperature, it's your medication timing. It's, uh, you know, how much sleep you got last night, hydration, like all these different things come into play but who can possibly always be tracking 42 variables at once and control them? Well, you know, spoiler alert, you can't even control some of them like your hormone fluctuations. And so (laughs) there's no, no need to attempt to track and control every single one of those variables. And so what we decided to focus on is three key pillars that have the biggest swing uh, on blood sugar impact. And that is your insulin, whether it's your dosing timing, the dosing amount, Uh, the structure of strategies surrounding it, your activity levels. So the different types of workouts, anaerobic versus aerobic, um, the intensity duration of the activities. And then the third is food, right? Different types of macronutrient profiles, glycemic structure uh, and looking into how we can live our best life while doing the least amount of work (laughs) on diabetes itself, uh, because it really can become an intrusive, disease. You know, it really has its fingers in every part of your life if you let it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how it's all intertwined too, because I had never seen the, um, the 42 variables that affect blood sugar. And I know you've said like on your podcast before that, like, there's probably even more than that too, because there's just so many things that can affect it that we don't even know about yet. Um, and like when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I, I never knew that there were all these different factors that could affect it. Like no one told me that it was just like, check your blood sugar, eat food, count the carbs, take the insulin, and then just like figure it out from there. And I remember like growing up and just like, trying to do everything perfect, like making sure that I counted the right amount of carbs and ate only that amount. And then being so frustrated when my blood sugar was still high or still like felt like it was out of control. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, it's crazy that like we, we, how far we've come in figuring out how all these things interact with each other and how that affects our diabetes and management. So just
1: oh, 100%.
0: give like, for people who haven't seen like the 42 var- variables, um, what are some of those other ones that are pretty major in affecting your blood sugar?
1: Yeah, I would say, well, one of the major ones that we don't have control over hormone fluctuations, uh, both male and female, but female, sorry, you guys have it rougher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, with your cycle, it throws a lot of things out of whack. And, um, sleep schedules you know. i just got back from a trip to nashville and the time difference can throw things off because your circadian rhythm is thrown off and uh you know things you just don't think about you know and, and i had somebody in my instagram comments was like what why have i never been told that time zones can affect your blood sugars and changing your basal settings i'm like mm-hmm. right yeah i used to travel all the time and i never changed anything you know before i knew all this stuff uh i would say hydration has a lot more of an impact than most people realize not on diabetes alone, but on life in general, like non-diabetics included, nobody drinks enough water. <laughs> it's nuts. Um, but I would stick to the, the exercise amounts and the types of food that you're eating have the most direct impact on blood sugars. Uh, and there's a lot of different trains of thoughts on that as well. Like what type of exercise is best. And that depends on who you ask Like I can share my perspective as a master fitness trainer, but an exercise physiologist might have a different perspective or someone who is uh, a hit trainer for orange theory, right? Like they're all going to have different thoughts on which is best. Similarly with your diet. Some people say low carb is the best or keto or vegan or paleo or eat what you want. Or if it fits in your macros, like there's so many different ways that you can take this. And ultimately it's about finding two things, what delivers your results that you're after You know, so if you're trying to build muscle, you're not going to go run. And that's your only exercise, right? You're going to have to work out. Uh, And then two, does it fit in your lifestyle? So if you say, okay, I'm going to be carnivore, but in your head, you're like, I hate eating meat because I'm an animal rights activist. Well, you're not going to be carnivore for long because it's this internal battle, right? And so it's about what gets your results and what fits in your lifestyle. And that's how you determine like the best path for nutrition and for fitness and, diabetes management even as well you know some people prefer to log every blood sugar number some people that would drive them insane So it's about finding what works best for you
0: yeah so I feel like what you're saying is just that like it's really case by case and it depends on the type of person and what their lifestyle is like and so many different factors um but you are a coach also so do you do group coaching and individual or what what kind of coaching do you do
1: yeah. So most of what we run is a group coaching program. We keep it small group because I prefer to know the individual needs of everyone. I, I never want to get to a place where I don't know the names of people in my program. <laughs> like that just wouldn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have a one-on-one aspect for that exact reason, right? It has to be customized. You know, we all have different needs. We all have uh, different wants. I've got someone in my program now who's got some dietary restrictions. They, they can't eat certain foods. It's not even a choice. It's just their body doesn't react well to it. Um, I've got somebody else who just had some issues with their spine. So their workouts are going to look way different than a teenager. Right. And so, yeah, it has to be customized. And so we have both the group and the one-on-one aspect.
0: So, and then what, what, um, how can people find that? Where is that at?
1: Great question. Uh, so within that, I, I like to make sure that people are a good fit for what we offer. So you can't actually just like join and jump in and surprise me like, Hey, I'm your new client. Uh, so what we do is there's actually a free training that we let people go watch to see if they like my style of coaching. And after that training's over, they have a chance to go, uh, book a call and we have a conversation to see if the goals are lining up if the lifestyle, if we can make it work. So, um, to go check out that free training, if somebody were interested in just seeing how I operate and kind of learn about, Actually, I talk about that time where I almost died <laughs> in that training as well. So, uh, that's actually over at diabetes in Okay,
0: cool. I will link that in the show notes then for sure. Um, cool. but just to switch gears a little bit, can we talk a little bit about diet and how that impacts people? I mean, I know there's lots of different factors that we talked as we talked about, and it depends, um, am the type of person too, what they, what kind of goals they have and what they like to eat and all that. Um, but I saw on your Instagram, this might've been from a while ago that you eat mostly plant-based. Is that still true for you?
1: So it's become slightly less true. <laughs> uh, I still try to eat a lot of plants. I think that that's, it's definitely the best way to go. As far as a general health perspective, it's going to benefit a lot of people for heart health and overall cardiovascular health. It's just, it's the way to go, but Uh, We had a dietary shift in our little family recently. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we're actually expecting our first child. And my wife's pregnant with uh, our daughter, which we're super pumped about. But since then, uh, my wife was diagnosed with Crohn's disease the same year that I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. We didn't know each other at that time, but that's when they both happened. She went into remission and it looks great until she got pregnant. And since she got pregnant, she had to switch up her diet a little bit, which meant uh, she actually can't eat a lot of fiber. And she's like super pissed about it because she loves salad and veggies and fruits. Uh, So she's actually had to adopt uh, a heavier meat diet. And so as a result, uh, I've been consuming more meat as well, which goes to show, you know, your environment really has an impact on uh, your success levels. If you're surrounded by Oreos and cheese, it's like, you're not going to be as successful on a diet. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, I've been consuming more chicken, more lean meat since then, but I would still say that the majority of plant-based foods are are highly beneficial for most people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say that too. I mean, I eat like a pescatarian diet and, Mm -hmm. um, I've done that for like four years now, I think. And, um, I try to eat like low dairy too. So I, I try to lean more towards plant-based, but I don't think I could ever like fully be vegan. Um, but I just noticed that that does help me a lot just with my diabetes management and like, or taking less insulin and just controlling my blood sugar better. But, um, yeah, so diet, I mean, is a really interesting thing. And I'm assuming that the way that you coach with diet is more about the individual needs of the person.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so we keep kind of circling back to the customized aspect that everyone has to have, like my client or not, everyone has to realize that their diabetes is their own. And uh, there is no one single best diet for anyone because you might have food allergies, you know, like anything could throw it off. Uh, But I love that you brought up insulin needs changing. So there was a period of time where I went vegan and I, I tried, I've tried almost every diet out there. I'm just a big experimenter. I'm like my own lab rat. Um, and when I went low fat vegan, I noticed that I reduced my insulin needs by 70%, which was insane. Uh, there's no, like my basal profile was four units a day. I was like, how does this even happen? Uh, Um, and that's when I really, a light bulb went off. I was like, we can manipulate our insulin sensitivity based on different factors in our diabetes management, like food and exercise and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, it, and I bounced back, obviously I'm not vegan anymore, but realizing that everyone's needs are different, but you can still manipulate your blood sugars in such a way to achieve stable blood sugars with any type of diet. It's just a matter of, you know, matching the right strategies to those. And so, yeah, like you said, what we do is we help people to match the right strategies with the diet of their choice. And then we present the options and say, hey, look, you know, it's going to be healthier if you steer away from pizza, beer and burgers and go over here <laughs> and consume a little bit more vegetables and fruit. Uh, but if you want to consume pizza, beer and burgers, cool. Here's how you dose properly so that you keep your blood sugars at least in range. So we can, uh, you know, help you solve that problem. And uh, yeah, it really is fascinating that there's such a, a, a heavy culture tie to no, I am low carb or I'm vegan. And everyone like think that that's their team, but reality is, they all work. You just got to match the right strategy to it.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And so you said that you've kind of done a lot of diets and like a lot of different experimenting and stuff like that. Did you do that because you want to like track it and know how it affects your body to get a better idea of it?
1: So initially it was selfish. It wasn't like me trying to be like the the lab rep for the diabetes community. Right. I was like, I got to figure out for me, what diet works. I heard somewhere that vegan was like the best way to go. And it, it helps with blood sugars. And I was like, cool. I was still in that neurotic mindset of like, I got to figure it out. I was like, I'll do anything. Even if I have to stop eating meat, like whatever it takes. And, uh, that shift where I was like, Whoa, I'm taking way less insulin made me realize like, there's probably other options out there that I should check out. And so that I tried the low carb route, uh, the vegan, uh, I tried high everything, high carb, high fat, high protein uh, on my, my journey to break 200 pounds. That was a big goal of mine for a while. Uh, and yeah, it's, it was selfish initially, or just kind of selfish is the right word, but I wanted to figure it out for me, right? I wanted to see what was the best diet. And then now, obviously I can look back on those trials and say, oh, you're vegan. Cool. Here's what I experienced. Here's what you can expect, you know, talking to my clients and uh, help them to figure out what was best for them.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm sure that's helpful too, since you've had that experience yourself of trying different things out. But um, yeah, just with diet, or I guess outside of diet too, um, what has been the biggest like game changer for you in being able to control your numbers and just manage diabetes better?
1: The biggest game changer, I would say there's two different sides to it. One is I think becoming more. People are more aware of it now. And that's your mindset. Understanding that type one doesn't have to be the end of the world. You know, it, it sucks. Yeah. It's not like a fun thing, but uh, like we talked about earlier, you know, it's post adversarial growth. or also known as post-traumatic growth getting diagnosed with diabetes. Honestly made me a stronger person. It made me stand up and like fight for my life. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, like I wouldn't have known about nutrition or fitness or, I'd probably still be eating California burritos at one o'clock in the morning <laughs> if I never got diagnosed. Uh, so mindset's huge and recognizing that things aren't inherently bad. Like we assign good or bad to the events we experience in life, you know? Uh, but the, the more practical kind of gold nugget that I would say that I've encountered was the idea that we can manipulate our blood sugars. So if I see on my CGM that I'm rising rapidly, I don't have to just sit there and take it and go, oh, man, the rest of the day is a wash. You know, I can think through like, okay, drink water to help the insulin circulate. Maybe take some more insulin because maybe I didn't take enough. and I miscounted if I go for a walk. That's going to help things come down faster as well, you know, and piecing together different strategies that I can take action with. So I think taking action um, coupled with, of course, the understanding of how blood sugars work. Those empowered me like, oh, okay, cool. I can make choices that set me up for a better day.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's really helpful too. So for someone who's just like super overwhelmed with diabetes and just like feeling horrible about it, feeling super out of control and they want to be better at it, but they're just like feeling like stuck and burnt out from diabetes. What would you say to them?
1: It happens to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Burnout, not liking diabetes, feeling down, Everyone's gone through it, no matter what they show on social media or don't show, right? Um, I've gone through multiple bouts of severe depression, like just being completely honest with you. Um, Like I came back from that trip, right, where I almost died. I went in to see like a mental health specialist and came out with a new diagnosis that I'd never seen before. Uh, They labeled me with PTSD, panic attacks, severe anxiety. And I think there was something else too. None of those I had had before. And, you know, it wasn't because of diabetes, but indirectly it kind of was. And so, um, yeah, the burnout, the frustration, it happens to all of us. And to, to go through that, I would say the biggest tips that I can give one seek community, whether it's with other diabetics or with people that you care about and that care about you, having a support system is going to massively change your success with diabetes. It's huge. Um, Two, and this one sounds backwards, but it makes sense when you experience it, micromanaging your diabetes can lead to it becoming easier. So it sounds backwards because micromanage is usually like an evil connotation kind of thing. But when you have control of your blood sugars, you're able to take a step back and enjoy life or focus elsewhere. It's when we ignore it, out of you know an ignorance is bliss kind of mindset that it just kind of gets worse and festers and it then seeps into the rest of your life. you feel sick all day, keeps you up all night, and so making the choice to take control of it can actually help free up your mind and give you that that freedom from the the lockdown of
0: blood sugars yeah, for sure, yeah that's great advice it it definitely does sound backwards, but you're right, ignoring it it just never gets better that way either and it it kind of is empowering to feel like you do have a part in your diabetes management, and we are able to control this and do deal with this. But even though it gets super annoying sometimes and feels like the end of the world, but we're not alone, and we have a community to lean on too for that. So, how can people um, find you on social media and connect with you, and then um, also I wanted to touch on the virtual event that you have coming up in the fall as well, if you can talk about that.
1: That's right, yeah. So uh, on social media, we'll do that one real quick. Uh, We are FTF Warrior on all platforms. So Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, like the whole gauntlet. Um, Yeah, FTF Warrior is just the name of the company that I operate under all of those, basically as like my personal profile. So you'll see a bunch of my own shenanigans (laughs) on those profiles as well. Uh, but yeah, the the virtual event coming up is it's going to be a blast. I already know that. But we had an event recently, uh, about actually, it was seven months ago. Holy cow! So time's flying. But that event was where I went. I interviewed thirty other type one diabetic experts who were also living with type one diabetes. So like doctors, endos, PAs. I wanted to search out the people that would have been helpful for me. You know, because I got stuck with a crummy doctor, unfortunately, <laughs> in the beginning um and ended up finding like olympians and strength trainers and all this kinds of stuff to interview as well so uh that event was a blast and that was called the fearless diabetic summit and so now we're trying to think of uh the next events the next one's going to be in the fall like you mentioned and that's going to be specifically medical professionals who are also living with diabetes and uh yeah super pumped for that one no website for that one yet uh unfortunately so i don't have the uh the url to give out but those who will get notified first are those who are already, uh, in our email list, which you can get the other summit for free and then get on the email list as well. So, uh, anybody wants to check out that summit who we already did, it's completely free to register, uh, and then go watch those. It's going to be at fearlessdiabetic.com.
0: Cool. That sounds amazing. I will definitely look into that and I'll have to watch the replay of the other one. Cause that sounds like amazing interviews and amazing perspectives. So This was great. And thank you so much for being here today.
1: Absolutely. Kate, thank you so much for inviting me on here. Uh, I'm super pumped for the platform that you're building and just continuing to help the community as a whole. It's really cool to see people like you stepping up as leaders.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's fun to meet more diabetics and just share more perspectives that I haven't yet heard of. So it's really cool. And thank you again.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and being here this week. Again, you can find Matt on Instagram at FTF Warrior, And he also has a podcast called Pardon My Pancreas, where you can listen to all the things that he talked about in this episode in a little bit more detail and much more than that, too. So you can find him there. You can also find him on Facebook at FTF Warrior. And you know where to find me. I am on Instagram and TikTok at Thriveabetic, the same way that it's spelled in this podcast. And if you did enjoy this episode or have any feedback for me, please feel free to leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcast, and please follow me on Spotify. Thanks again, and I'll be back soon.